Hi, I'm Cameron, and I don't just read comics, I love them. Today, I have a super-duper special episode of Cameron Reads Comics. I'm talking to luminary writer Ron Mars. As I was getting into comics, I would spend my money on Ron Mars' Green Lantern run. He made Kyle Rayner my absolute favorite Green Lantern and introduced me kind of to the whole idea and, and premise of what a Green Lantern book should be. So this was a really big deal for me. I was reading him as I was getting into comics. Uh, it, it was very, very special to talk to him. Uh, make sure to go check out uh, Ron Mars's new projects and his Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Instagram pages. Uh, and make sure to go follow Cameron Reads Comics on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now here is your episode. And welcome back to Kim Reads Comics. On today's episode, super duper special guest, uh, writer extraordinaire, Ron Mars. Hi, Ron. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I am so excited uh, that we were able to make this work. Uh, okay, so you are a notorious creator. I, I was looking through some of your work and what you've done recently. I actually, before this, uh, reread the baptism of fire early origin of Kyle Rayner because I just need to gush for a second as I was getting into comic books um your work on that series was really what brought me to uh you know the fold I I was one of my first jobs I worked at in a mall and there's a used bookstore in the mall and, uh, you know, everyone's first comic, at least in my generation, was like Death of Superman. And so all of the ramifications and all of the events set up some of the like best stuff in DC Comics history. And I remember using my like money at the mall and going to that used bookstore and finding some of that early Kyle Rayner stuff, all that uh, zero hour and uh, like the, the Emerald Twilight storyline was actually is still one of my all-time absolute favorites and so i you you brought me into some of my first comic book uh first comic books that ever got me into the medium so i thank you for that cool well i'm glad we got the hook in your mouth it's still there all these years later absolutely and <laughs> and now i'm waiting for a big old omnibus of the kyle rayner stuff and i think it's coming i that's all speculation but i'm really excited so first first question i have for you is when it comes to a storyline like Emerald Twilight, was that your first hop hop on to the Green Lantern title? Was that the first event they gave you? Yeah, that was the first um, the first regular stuff on Green Lantern that I did. That was that was the offer that got me onto the book. I had done a couple of um, a couple of short stories for Green Lantern Corps quarterly, you know, eight or ten pages or whatever, which is usually the way you you wind up kind of breaking in at a new publisher because I'd been working over at Marvel, um, came over and did a handful of stories at DC. And then um, I guess those went well enough and they were still, the editors at DC were apparently reading my Marvel stuff. And, um, uh, you know, they they called up one night and offered, I had actually been in, in the Marvel offices during the day. So I was back oh, wow. home that night and um, I got a call from DC editorial saying, 
hey, we want you to take over Green Lantern. And I thought, well, cool. I mean, that's a pretty awesome offer. And then they told me, here's, you know, here's your first storyline. Here's what we want you to do, which was obviously a fairly, um, fairly big deal kind of story. Um, yeah. not, not the sort of thing you take lightly. So I actually took a little bit of time to think about it and then obviously accepted the gig. Yeah. So were you, because there's obviously by that point, you know, you'd had Gar- Guy Gardner introduced, you had uh, obviously Hal Jordan and John Stewart around. Were, was Hal like the guy that got you into Green Lantern or is that what you were reading? How, how did that feel to kind of like dethrone a, a major Silver Age player? Um, I was not a, a regular Green Lantern reader. I mean, when 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 that particular Green Lantern series had started, I think I read maybe the first year or so. Um and and then I guess just sort of lost interest, um, yeah. as did apparently quite a few people because the sales weren't great and that's why they wanted to change. So um, I had that honestly, I'd been more of a fan of Hal in uh, Super Friends. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, you know, the odd episodes that he would actually appear. Um, I always thought it was, you know, so, oh, you know, somebody different than than, the, you know, the core five heroes. Um so when when Hal appeared, I've always thought it was pretty cool, um, and I loved the costume. I still love Hal's costume. I think it's one of the you know one of the great simple costumes of um, of you know the Silver Age and Gil Kane for me still designed the best costumes ever. So um, uh, and then you know and then obviously when I took over the book, we got rid of all that. So <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, that's what I was thinking. But you know, it's it's good. It's you know, you you got the early stuff, and, and Daryl Banks is art worker. He was he wasn't the first artist on the book, was he? Um, he well, yes, no, sort of. Uh, yeah. When I when I took over with issue forty eight, um, Daryl was going to be the new was going to be the new yeah. artist. On, he was a new regular artist, and Daryl had actually started to draw a storyline that was begin was going to begin in forty eight and end in fifty um, when. Mm where Hal was going to be turned into a character called the protector and, and leave the green lantern Corps, Um, <clears throat> but ultimately the, uh, the choice of DC choice of DC editorial was, um, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't a big enough storyline to jumpstart the book. So they wanted to do, um, they wanted to do something more severe. So they got a new team, um, or a new writer, at least in me. And, um, by that point, because, previous issues had been started already um i still have i think i still have those <clears throat> some of those copies of some of those pages that will obviously never see print um in in my files here oh, um, awesome. so <clears throat> so daryl um had the timing been different daryl would have drawn 48 49 and 50 okay uh, but because we were <clears throat> we were somewhat late at that point actually not somewhat we were really late at that point um <laughs> we had to have those three issues drawn by three different people. So Bill okay. Willingham drew issue 48. Yes. Um, issue 49 was, um, was Fred Haynes and Daryl was issue 50. And I was actually writing all three of those issues at the same time oh, because, wow. because it was so late. I had to write like the first batch of pages from each issue to get the artist started and then go back and finish 48 and then finish 49 and then finish 50. Um, so all, you know, all three of those artists had to be fed at the same time. So it was, um, it was really a juggling act for the, for the first month or so. 
I'm sure that was so busy for you. Um, um, it was busy, but it was great. I mean, obviously it was a, you know, it was an exciting opportunity. Um, I knew that it was going to be a storyline that people would pay attention to. Um, following on the heels of the death of Superman and the breaking of Batman, um, this was this was billed as the next the next one in that sequence of big deal stories. Um, so I knew we were going to have we were going to have a pretty um, pretty wide audience for it because DC was going to promote it. Yeah, and and what I really liked about your approach to Kyle in, in the whole thing was how it felt like green lantern is is one of the most intimidating franchises i think to to explain to people and like in the context and everything else going on but how you intro to everyone into what was going on like it gave readers the opportunity to figure out what's going on with the core as well you know you had that early alan scott appearance you had obviously even hal comes comes back like parallax out in the first like 10 issues and sure. so that was well really it cool. was you know i mean part of the Part of the the rationale was if we were going to if we we're going to have a new character starting the you know like a new era of, of Green Lantern we're going to get um, get Hal off stage um, John Stewart and Guy Gardner we're not going to be Green Lanterns anymore um, so it was the opportunity for us to to really do a ground floor read with a a rookie learning the ropes, learning about the legacy of Green Lantern and learning about the DCU. So, um, and frankly, that was what I was doing too. Um, I was, you know, it was my first regular DC book. So now obviously, I had been a reader of DC books, but you know, it's a little bit different than, than digging in and writing continuity in that universe. So, so Kyle was an opportunity to introduce a new kind of character as well as a point of view character for the audience, um, uh, many of whom were new to Green Lantern and new to DC because they had been pulled in by the, you know, by the promotion and the and the the buzz of what we were doing. Um, so it was very much a concerted effort to try to make sure that it was a ground floor read. It was welcoming to new readers, and it introduced the rest of the DCU um, to those readers. Yeah, and and you know that's that's where. I come in because you know I'm 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 coming off the tail of which I think is the, one of the greatest comic book events of all time, Death of Superman, because of everything that spun out out of it. Um, the, it became the perfect launching on point, which brings me to uh, one of my next questions. Uh, and you and I talked about this because we met at Long Beach Comic Con uh, a couple weeks ago. But you you bring in, and I didn't realize until I, I was rereading the series, but. Two of my favorite, I think now most underrated villains of all time, which are Major Force and Mongol. Mongol was in uh, Death of Superman, but or Return, and what you did to bring him in to make him so menacing, such an early on threat to Kyle was amazing. But before that, Major Force, what made you want to use him? Because he is so terrifyingly sinister in in that story. I like, I love. I think he's so underrated in the DCU and that's because of what you did with him. So what was that inspiration? Um, both of those guys are huge, bad dudes. Right. So, <laughs> um, and I, I am drawn to uh, a villain who is very obviously more powerful than the hero. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and obviously having come from um, Jim Starlin's tutelage and yeah. from um, using Thanos quite a bit in my surfer run. Um, I was like, as soon as I came on the book, I was like, oh, I want to, I want to, you know, bring Mongol in, um, who is, you know, who was a Jim Starlin creation, you know. That, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Jim, Jim created Mongol. 
Um, and, you know, he is cut from that cloth of Thanos and Darkseid and those big bruiser guys who, who are, you know, just visually and physically intimidating um, for the heroes. And Major Force had a bit of that um, had a bit of that as well. Major Force um, is a much larger guy than most of the heroes. Um, mm -hmm. He's bigger, broader. So I, I liked the the fact that he was physically imposing, and I also liked that he was, you know, he was a guy who was following orders. Um, he and he was really good at following orders because he was um, a sadistic son of a bitch. Yeah. So um, so he was, you know, he was the perfect tool for. Um, you know, the, the shadow forces to uh, unleash and try to get their hands on the last powering. So yeah. he, he, he fit from a physical point of view and he also fit from a character point of view. Yeah. He, um, it's the, I think I told you this, but for the, for the listeners, it's, it's, it's your story with him. And then it's Superman, Batman, public enemies by Jeff Loeb and uh, Ed McGinnis. It was just like, Oh, this guy, I, he's terrifying. And I think he's since passed away, but one of my favorite villains and then well, i mean you know nobody dies in comics so. <laughs> exactly I, I think it's been a while if i was to ever and i don't think i'm ever gonna be a comic writer but if i was to ever i'm like oh major force would be my villain of choice just because he's you know with those two kind of uh it traumas that he's caused uh i'm just like oh i'm i'd love to see uh play with that those toys right yeah, um he, well he really enjoyed being bad that's that's you know he really enjoyed uh, the role that he was set up for. He was not a conflicted villain. And I think conflicted villains are great. You know, Parallax is a conflicted, maybe not even villain, maybe anti-hero. And I loved yeah. writing Hal as Parallax. Um, Major Force is not that guy. Like he's, he's, he's good at being bad. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm a fan. Um, so what was the collaboration between you and Daryl like? How did that look? You know, um, was it was it a rocky start? Because you guys worked together. I would I think I one of, if not the longest run in DC Comics history. Um, I don't yeah, I don't know if we were the longest, but I mean we, you know, the Daryl Daryl actually stayed on the book after I departed and I was there for seven years. So mm -hmm. um so um you know, it was a great partnership and we're still great friends and we're still doing stuff together now. Um, when you find an artist that you click with, um, just like when you find an editor or a character you click with, you want to, you know, you want to go back there and do that as often as possible. So um, I really, um, I really felt very fortunate that um, Daryl was on the book and that he was, you know, like, Anytime I turned in the script, I, I knew it was going to come back looking even better than I had imagined it in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a super talented artist. He gets he gets everything that you're supposed to do. I mean, he gets the the powerful stuff, the fight stuff, but also the you know the the softer stuff, the character stuff, and the the acting of the characters. Um, he's just good at all of it. Um, he was good then, and he's better now. Yeah. Um, it your guys is uh, the way that you guys work together. I just thought was so cool. Um, and is that, is that similar to you and Ron Lim on Silver Surfer? Yeah. And yeah, in a lot of ways, I mean, certainly Ron was the first artist I've ever worked. I ever worked with in comics. Um, oh, really? and that was certainly a blessing to me because, you know, I, I got my chance to start writing comics by writing Silver Surfer. Um, really? I okay. I didn't, you know, it was the first comic script I ever wrote. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't start at the minor, I didn't start in the minor leagues. I didn't, you know, 
I didn't earn my stripes at all um, coming up through the ranks. I got to start at the major league level, um, which is a rare and precious opportunity. Um, but having my first stuff drawn by Ron Lim, um, obviously it looked great, um, but I also just earned a hell, learned a hell of a lot from watching him translate my scripts into, into pages. Um, my learning curve was, uh, was pretty steep from the beginning and yeah. I had a, I had a great teacher. Um, and, uh, plus, you know, Ron and our buddies and, you know, just like Daryl and I are, um, and we've, you know, we've known each other, you know, more than 30 years now. Um, mm -hmm. and, you know, we started off as kids and now, you know, now we're adults with kids of our own right. uh, and, and still working together. You know, I worked with, uh, I worked with Ron, uh, on Silver Surfer Rebirth, um, this year, um, which the trade paperback just came out. Um, I, I started and, reading it and in preparation for this, I haven't read any of your Silver Surfer stuff, you know, the, the couple issues of that I read because again, I think the cosmic Marvel stuff too, it's all the cosmic stuff. It's very intimidating, but I can tell everyone right now, go pick it up. It, you, you can pick it right up and it's amazing. I really am enjoying it. I'm on uh, the cliffhanger on issue two. Uh, we can Jack of hearts. Amazing. I'm like, I, I love the characters you're using for that. Um, we just had fun. Uh, you know, Marvel, Marvel called us each and said, do you want to come back and do this? And I kind of said, well, I will if Ron will. And Ron said, I will if other Ron will. Um, <laughs> I love and, that. And, you know, they didn't give us a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of strictures. There weren't a lot of, you know, you know, talking points that we had to work in there. Um, two of the talking points that they did want um, were, you know, can you put Jack of Hearts in? Sure, that's okay. That's, that's uh, you know, I've got a role in mind for, you know, for a character that could do what he does in the series. Yeah. And they wanted me to put uh, Janice Bell into the book, too. Okay. which was kind of a no brainer because Ron and I had created them. So, oh, great. Um, so yeah. So other than, other than putting them into the book, Marvel didn't give us any direction whatsoever. They were just like, tell, tell a story that could fit into your run um, when you guys initially did the book and it doesn't have to, you know, it can be a very specific point in your run or it can be just, it's a story that takes place in there somewhere, which is, which is what we ended up doing. You know, I yeah. I didn't want it to be an exercise in, you know, um, picking the nits of continuity. I just wanted it to be a good story and you can sort of place it anywhere in the run that you want. But um, we had a ball doing it and, you know, frankly, Ron drew the hell out of it. Yeah, no. And absolutely. I, I, I picked it up, but that's what I was worried about because, you know, you guys did a really solid run on that character. And so uh, to hop in and, and be able to understand what was going on and just like, especially with all, all the stuff with reality changing was really perfect. Cause it, it really could fit in anywhere. Um, with your collaboration with artists, actually what had a green lantern question that escaped me and came back um, with collaborating with Daryl, how did, uh, did you just kind of let him loose on the Kyle Rayner artist uh, constructs kind of coming out because he obviously has the most creative ones or were you like, Daryl, this is what I need to have on the scene. Do whatever you want. Well, the, you know, the, the marching orders that we sort of gave ourselves from the beginning of the run was that, um, that Kyle being an artist, having a real visual imagination, um, should never make the same ring construct twice. That oh, was, that was something we had agreed upon with, um, with editorial and that, you know, like when at all possible, he would not, you know, he would not be making a boxing glove 
um, yeah. three times in one issue. Um, it would be a, you know, it would be, it would be a special effects book. Um, and because frankly, that's what Green Lantern is. It's like, what kind of, what kind of cool stuff can you make with the ring? Obviously there's a lot of other aspects to it, but that's a, that's a focal point of, of the series of like, like it should be visually spectacular. So we wanted to make sure that we came up with um, some imaginative stuff for Kyle to make with the ring, because, you know, just, you know, <laughs> frankly, just, just like any comic was limited only by your imagination. We can show anything we wanted. Um, so even if it was, you know, he's got a, a shield or a sword, like it would never be the same sword twice. It would never be the same shield twice. Mm-hmm. Um, it would always have a, you know, distinctly different design. And we, you know, we tried to think of, you know, as, as many different things as possible, you know, gorillas and trains and giant, <laughs> giant caterpillars and, you know, anything that we can come up with that we thought would be visually pretty exciting. Um, that's what we did. And, and then obviously um, all credit to Daryl because he's the one that actually brings it to life. Yeah, absolutely. Um so you mentioned, and I noticed that your Silver Surfer run came uh, on the heels of Jim Starlin, which is, you know, a cos- the Marvel cosmic guy. How, how intimidated were you or how was that taking it on? How did you, what steps do you think you and Ron did to make that book yours? I, I probably should have been more intimidated than I was. That's um, great. Because, um, you know, obviously I learned from Jim. Jim is the one who, cajoled Marvel into giving me the book when when he had to step away from it to to do the Infinity Gauntlet as well as the the new Warlock book that was going to come out of it um so you know it kind of got handed to me and um I didn't I didn't know enough to be nervous um because I was just very excited and I thought well I can I can do this this is this is something I can do I'm going to be good at this um you know so my hubris probably kept me from being as as nervous as I should be um, but I also had, you know, I had had, you know, a fair number of issues that I had, uh, a handful of issues that I had co-written with Jim, a couple of solo issues and, and an annual. So I, you know, I had gotten my feet wet. And um, when I took over, we we jumped right into Infinity Gauntlet crossover issues, like tie-in issues. Yeah. So I had, um, I had stories that I needed to work in and around. Um, I had continuity um stuff from the overall series that that I needed to play with um which I didn't realize at the time but is ultimately great was was great training for working in a shared universe mm-hmm. uh, I, I figured out how to tell stories that were hopefully satisfying in and of themselves while not stepping on the events of the infinity gauntlet crossover yeah no I can only imagine what the marvel bullpen could have been like you know that obviously we are still feeling, you know, the ramifications and the influences of those events. And, and I don't know all the, because I've, again, I've read infinity gauntlet. Uh, I haven't gone super deep into all the cosmic stuff, but I really am impressed by how you were able to take on the book. And even like, I'm sure there were other events happening. Was it Thanos quest and like all those other things? Or were Yeah. Thanos, Thanos quest. Um, Thanos was in the surfer book. I mean, ultimately, that's what Jim was. Jim was writing a Thanos story. He wasn't really writing a Surfer story. <laughs> um, so Thanos was in the Surfer book, and then um, they put out um, Thanos Quest, which was two prestige issues with Ron Lim and um, uh, painted art. Uh, I think Tom um, um, 
I'm trying to think of the colorist. Uh, I'm blanking on it. Uh, Tom Christopher was our anchor. Mm. Um, you know, but it had this, you know, for the time, some pretty amazing painted color. So, and that, um, that was sort of the precursor to Infinity Gauntlet. That was Thanos gathering all the stones. Um, and then Infinity Gauntlet um, really, uh, you know, really launched out of that. Um, and kind of went in and out of the Marvel Universe, except for except for mostly the X-Men books. You don't see a whole lot of X-Men stuff going on because they were they were off doing their own thing. Yeah. Um that's awesome. Yeah, no, I I can only imagine. Um okay, so we're we we're one now. I got like two more questions for you. The first, and I think the the thing that really got me fascinated was you are one of the few writers to ever be able to do a, a DC Marvel crossover. And obviously two of your most significant characters, Silver Surfer, Green Lantern. What was approaching that story like? What were those conversations and meetings happening like? That was that was really pretty easy because it was it was it was really obvious that we should do it because there were Marvel and DC had a good relationship at the time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, publishing, you know, publishing revenue was what made those companies run at that time not you know sort of other media revenue of course and um so doing crossover stuff just made a lot of sense so there were a, a, quite a few marvel dc crossovers during that period um and um surfer green lantern just seemed to make a bunch of sense because i was writing both books at the time um both books um were selling well so it seemed like a no-brainer um we got that approved and uh, DC, I, DC handled that editorially. Um, DC is the one that actually published it, even though obviously both companies are on it. Mm -hmm. You know, Marvel had you know approval uh, rights and all that, but DC handled the handled the day to day work of putting the story together um, and putting the you know putting the book out. Um, and then as we were getting towards the end of that, the the need for the Marvel versus DC crossover, which I uh, I was picked to write. Um, became obvious and it was kind of like oh well let's you know let's let's tease that at the end of green lantern surfer so that we've got a little bit of a lead into um, marvel versus dc so so if you read that if you read the surfer green lantern crossover now and there's like a box with energy shooting out of it in an alley and you have no idea what the hell's going on mm -hmm. um that's you know that's the lead into the marvel versus dc crossover um and and frankly, none of that stuff is in print anymore because obviously yeah. you have to have you have to have both uh, both companies agree to be printed, and right now they don't need each other. So yeah, uh, so those are you know those are those are things that you dive into back issue bins for. Yeah, and it it's just crazy how you know all the peripheral DC Marvel crossovers have again like totally increased in price too because of uh, the JLA Avengers reprint. It was it was insane. I got lucky. I found that book in. Uh, I went to a comic store and they kind of just didn't realize what they had. It was just in the rack, like any other book. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I was yeah, like, I mean, I honestly, I don't even have a copy of it. So, uh, oh. um, so um, yeah, I mean, look, hopefully someday yeah. uh, there's, there's some detente between the, between the two companies. I'm not, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but you know, fingers crossed. And, you know, a lot of that stuff could, you know, would be nice to have a couple of omnibus volumes of all of that stuff um for you know for a new generation of readers that uh, didn't get a chance to get a hold of it yeah absolutely you're totally i'm i'm with you on that um 
Okay. My last question before we let you go, what is your favorite book in your pull list? If you are able, you have the time to read comics. What do you, what do you enjoy most? Um, man, I don't get anywhere near the time to enjoy comics, um, that I would like. Right. Um, but the, you know, the, the two things that I, um, two things that I show up for immediately are whenever Mike Mignola draws a Hellboy story, um, or any story, frankly. Yeah. Um, and, um, whenever, um, whenever Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips put out a new, a new criminal book, um, or, um, obviously right now they're doing the reckless stuff, but it's yeah. also that, um, that same criminal feel, um, mm-hmm. those reckless graphic novels that those guys are doing. Um, I think the next one comes out in a few weeks actually, yeah. um, are just, you know, they're just fantastic comics to me. Those are, those are kind of the best things that are being printed right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm always in line. I'm always picking up this Ed Brubaker stuff. I recently reread the book in my opinion that really needs a reprint. I collect hardcovers is, uh, the fade out. I just read that on uh, Amazon Comicsology, and it blew my mind. Uh, yeah, Sean- it's, it's, all of the stuff they do together is, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you talked about Daryl and I or Ron Lim and I being partners on stuff. I mean, I, I don't know that there's been a partnership like um, like Ed and Sean, um, maybe since Stan and Jack. I mean, uh, it's it's just, you know it's like music every time um, absolutely and they just keep getting better at it which you know yeah. which really annoys the rest of us frankly yeah. no you're totally right because I, I i remember the first book i read from all that and again with the approachability of those stories it's the first one i read was my heroes have always been junkies which am I, I one of the single best plot twists in a book if out of context where it's just like uh, when when it happens when the story turns and then bad weekend and pulp were just like love letters to the industry which for me it just fills my cup it's like oh my gosh like talking about wally wood and talking about all the other stuff the the, the creator stuff that they're doing in those stories i just thought was amazing yeah it's um that that's the kind of stuff that i can sit down and read and it makes me want to write comics oh, you know, it makes awesome. me want to uh, it makes me want to keep doing this job uh, for as long as I possibly can. That's awesome. Well, we hope you do. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Ron. Please let us know what you're writing. What can we pick up that you're up to these days? Um, let's see. Well, the Silver Surfer Rebirth trade just came out. Um, Deja Thor's One Shot just came out from um, from Dynamite. Um, I did a Twilight Imperium graphic novel. Um, based on the board game, based on that you mm. know, huge board game that, um, that, you know, does amazing Kickstarters. Yeah. Uh, I, I co-wrote with Andy Lanning, a like 120 page Twilight Imperium graphic novel that, okay. um, that I believe um, will be included as part of a new Twilight Imperium Kickstarter soon. Um, but that's all done. That's all, you know, in the can 120 pages. Um Let's see. I just finished up uh, Swamp God for Heavy Metal, which will be collected, uh, I think, in November. Mm-hmm. The collected edition will be out. Um, that's a Civil War era horror story. Oh, awesome! Uh, I've got another. I've got another um, Heavy Metal serial coming up next year. Um, next year, I also have a uh, hardcover graphic novel with Rick Leonardi called Blue Angel. Oh, it's so coming cool. out through Naval Institute Press. That's 132 pages, um, which is sort of military adventure with a slight superhero twist to it. Um, no costumes, though, just uniforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 
And uh, and there's other odds and ends that I'm doing, but I'm not really. I'm just looking around here that it's mostly stuff that hasn't been announced yet. Plus, well, plus some more corporate stuff that hasn't been announced yet. So awesome. And and, and, and the other thing that I do is I'm part of the narrative team for uh, Diablo Four Blizzard. So oh, that's uh, awesome. I I you know I never I never wonder what to do when I get up in the morning. There's always something. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really just like okay, what's the mo- highest priority on the top of the list? I bet. Yeah, which one is on which which one is on fire the most? Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Well, where can we find you on social media so everyone can go follow and see what you're up to when it, it can't um, be announced? Um, I am at Ron Mars on Twitter. Uh, I am uh, my website, which is being revamped as we speak, is just ronmars.com. Um, and I have uh, an Instagram account that I honestly don't know what the address is it's there it's probably at ron um, mars yeah. and then there's a you know there's a uh there's a facebook account that somebody else keeps for me that gets updated infrequently but it's there but okay. um twitter is the best one to to keep track of where i am and what i'm doing great awesome well thank you so much so excited everyone go pick up your silver surfer rebirth trade paperback that recently got out uh thank you so much ron uh hopefully we'll, we can do this again sometime Thanks, Cameron. My pleasure. I'm uh, happy to be here. Take care. Bye.